Welcome to today's webinar compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. All of our webinars are interactive. We encourage you to pose questions to our guests. The more challenging, the better. And the earlier you get the questions in, the better the chance of having them answered. The recording of this webinar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Biz News Finance Friday webinar. I'm Jackie Cameron, and with me today we've got Magnus Haystick of Brenthurst Wealth Management. Welcome, Magnus. Yeah, good afternoon, Jackie. Good afternoon, listeners. And we've also got Gareth, Gareth Leonard from Netto Invest in Cape Town. So welcome, Gareth. Thanks, Jackie. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. And welcome to everybody who's joined us today. I see we've got several hundred people who've joined us. Before we get started with the details of the webinar and hearing from Magnus and Gareth, my colleague Ariella will just check to make sure everybody can hear everything properly. And uh, as soon as uh, she's done that, please start getting your questions into the box on the right. So Ariella, would you just like to pick up and just check to make sure? Oh, hi guys. Obviously, I'm filling in for Stu today, but if you can hear and see me, there is a little high five on the dashboard. If you can, just press that high five just so I can have a look and see if uh, everyone is okay. Cool. Jax, I'm getting a lot of high fives, so all is good to go. Excellent. Cool. Okay, great. Well, before we get started with the questions, um, I'm just going to introduce our guests. And, of course, many people are very familiar with Magnus Haystick. He is an award-winning journalist. He's written many personal finance books. He has founded Brenthurst Wealth Management, which has offices in South Africa. And I think Mauritius, Magnus. Indeed, but we're missing Mauritius. We can't get there. So I believe I have an office there, but I haven't been there for a year. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll enjoy it when you eventually do get there. And um, and then we've also got Gareth Leonard from Netto Invest, which has offices in Cape Town and I think Australia as well, Gareth. Correct. Debbie's over in Australia. Okay, so welcome to you both. Magnus, it's been a very interesting week for you. You contacted us with this um, very interesting development uh, on the, when it comes to offshore investments and it seems <clears> that it's now very easy to invest offshore. Perhaps you could just briefly sketch out the changes. <clears throat> Well, Jackie, or so we thought. Um, the background was in the uh, budget uh, two or three weeks ago. Finance Minister Tito Mboweni, in one sentence, referred to a modernization of South Africa's capital flows or exchange controls, and that was about it. This was followed by a, a note from Treasury and also subsequently by the South African Reserve Bank, which in effect made significant changes to the foreign exchange uh, regime under which we can invest money in South Africa, and particularly the what they call the inward listed instruments, which basically means any instrument on the JSE which is listed from abroad, which includes debts and also includes um, exchange-traded funds, can are now deemed to be domestic assets because you're converting dollars to rands, you buy them in rands, and you can now invest in them. And the, 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 the conclusion was, and, and, and Mokhtar Vizika van Signa got legal opinion from ENS, and after a very lengthy investigation, 
they concluded this effectively scraps the 30% offshore allocation that people uh, have to stick to in terms of their um, retirement funds, pension funds, preservation funds. And of course, that was greeted with great euphoria. Yeah, yeah, Alec and I and, and, and Marta did a webinar. But lo and behold, an FSCA statement came out, very obtuse, very cryptic, saying, as I said in my tweet, they said, Wachabiki, no, 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 wait a little bit. It's just not as simple as that. And, and in effect, it's all in limbo. Uh, we don't know. And I, I bet between the scenes or behind the scenes, there's vicious uh, correspondence going on. And I think there's a battle, a turf battle going on between those guys who have uh, ETFs and those guys who don't have ETFs. Because if it means that I can change my portfolio immediately if I choose to do so, I can only use ETFs listed on the JSE, which is good news for the JSE, good news for the platforms that provide the ETFs, but not so good news for the active fund managers who don't have that dispensation. So I think uh, we need clarity on that because it's very important. Those instruments that are referred to, the pension funds, RAs, preservation funds, have not beaten the inflation rate over five years. And it's been very, very difficult for investors and also investment advisors who have to explain to their clients. They're saying, it's not us. It's not us. We have chosen the best fund in the country, but we couldn't beat inflation. So it is an important subject, and I, I hope we get clarity on this very soon. Thank you, Magnus. Gareth, what's your view on this? Do you also find that you have to explain yourself to your, your clients all the time because the investments are not delivering? It's, uh, it's yeah, it's a very good point. You know, we're in a we're in a position where, and I've always made it quite clear, I can't control the markets. And as Magnus alluded to, we try to uh, select either the best investment allocation or best fund managers to achieve objectives. Uh, so certainly, when the market outperforms significantly, I make a clear point that it hasn't been myself. Uh, or Neto that has done that, and consequently, when the markets underperform, likewise. You know what we do as advisors is far broader than just trying to pick the top fund managers or top stock selection, holistic financial planning. But certainly, the JSC has been under pressure for the past five years, if not slightly longer, and anything with heavy local exposure has really struggled. There's big debates on on the inflation number as well. I, I doubt we have time for that. My inflation, your inflation, etc. But quite right, it's a uh, it's been a tough environment, really tough environment in the past five years. So, Magnus, before we start taking the questions, what does this uh, this whole issue of this new regulation being in limbo mean? Does this mean you're going to continue encouraging people to invest as much as possible offshore, or how, how should we manage our investments with all this uncertainty? It depends where your money is and, importantly, where what age you are. That is an important uh, factor. Uh, in these instruments, they all have a 55 cutoff, and then you can start doing different things. And that's what we have been doing fairly consistently, saying if you are 55 and you have money in a preservation fund and or retirement annuity, you have other options and you need to look at them. And it's it's uh, not always very positive because a lot of people don't want to start paying tax on the income. But you have different options, either with full withdrawal, partial withdrawal, or a transfer to a retirement, uh, sorry, a living annuity. But the downside is you need to start uh, earning an income from those instruments. And that's those are your choices. But the quid pro quo is you can get 100% offshore allocation if your risk profile allows for that. 
and it's not automatic for everybody. It's a lot of people, and I say this very bluntly, are not suitable for offshore investing because it comes with volatility, and volatility uh, in the short term does affect a lot of people, and they react negatively, and they do funny stuff. So in some cases, you say, no, you're fine in a recreate fund because it's going to give you for inflation plus one or what. But it depends, and after 55, your opportunity open up fairly dramatically. Thank you. Gareth, what's your view on offshore investing? Do you generally recommend that people take off as much as possible into other markets? As much as possible is a very broad statement. Uh, we have we have elevated the recommended offshore exposure for clients over the years. I've been at Netto 10 years, and we initially had a 30 to 40% offshore recommendation on the basis that everybody retiring, spending in South Africa has a link to the dollar cost of fuel and food, and it's impacted by the exchange rate. And as life has happened and we've seen our economy progress, be so bold to say that, uh, we've elevated that. We have a, I mean, it's it's has to be taken into account the individual circumstances of each client, but we have a 50 to 70%, call it a broad brush stroke that we would want to target. And as Magnus said, you, you're limited in retirement funds to 30%. And then you're looking at, if you're over the age of 55, and we've done a number of uh, retirements into living annuities, where Reg 28 doesn't apply. And you're also then looking at a trade-off of do I skip the tax saving of contributing to a retirement fund and possibly invest elsewhere, either into asset swap offshore or directly offshore? Thank you. We've got a first question here from Arthur. He says, I know nobody has a crystal ball, but what are the guests' views on the future, next three-year trajectory of the rand against the dollar and reasons to support the view? So even though nobody's got a crystal ball, Magnus, uh, what's your sort of assessment? You obviously do a lot of uh, uh, analysis of where you think the rand is going. Well, it's, it's a pity that we have this one-dimensional fixation on the RAND. It's not only the RAND. It's also uh, investment opportunities elsewhere, irrespective of what the RAND is going to do. Unfortunately, and, and maybe it's a combination of media, public chatter and, 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 and recommendations, people see it as just a RAND call. It's either RAND, strong RAND week, and they wait for it to – and they will invariably get it wrong because – Assuming you get the RAND dollar call right, it also assumes that you get the offshore asset allocation right, which is impossible. We tell clients, where will you be in 10 years or 15 years? And make that call now if you want to take dollars offshore or yen or whatever the currency might be. But to answer your question, you know, the RAND moves in big, big cycles and it moves in small cycles. The small cycles are very difficult to predict, but if you stand back, there's a big cycle. and and again, backtesting this, this, this assumption, you're saying the best time to buy dollars is when the RAND has retracted fairly significantly, whether it's 10, 15, or maybe 20%, which is currently in the ballpark where we are now. And you can go back in time, 201, 211, 212, whatever. Every time you buy after the RAND has strengthened against the dollar in a significant way, then you close to the bottom. And it could be 1550, it could be 1450, but somewhere along the line, you're going to get it right. It also makes sense to do a bit of rand cost, averaging out of the rand to the dollar. But the rand tends to strengthen, it goes into a plateau phase, and then suddenly it, it, it weakens and very dramatically. And those things you cannot predict. It's not predictable. And I tell people, 
I'm not making a call on the RAND. I'm making a call on the offshore markets relative to the South African markets. And that we've seen, I mean, if you take the last five years, the RAND is actually almost where it was five years ago. But the JSC is up only, what, uh, total return is 26% over five years. Whereas NASDAQ is up 250%, uh, S&P 500 up 180%, and, 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 and everything else is up by 60 to 250. So it's the growth that you got in the stock market where you were, and that is your call. Thank you, Magnus. Gareth, what would you like to add to that? Well, spot on with Magnus talking about diversifying what you're investing in. The JSC could be viewed as quite limited in terms of a global uh, allocation or choice. The, the crystal ball, I mean, that was the question. The three, five-year, ten-year view is just based on local factors of our budget deficit, struggling tax revenue, you know, Gini coefficient, unemployment, SOEs, you name it. The headwinds are there, and that's why we have elevated offshore exposure for clients. Uh, in addition to the broader stock selection, because remember, half the JSE is considered RAND hedge stocks. The other half is you're relying on the South African consumer, and, and that's going to be a tough environment. Thank Indeed. you very much. Yeah. yeah, and the JSE is shrinking. You know, 20 years ago, we had 650 listed shares. Today, we have 340. And we've almost weekly, we hear companies wanting to do this for various reasons. So your skills, your, your opportunity set is shrinking, your, your, your risks are rising, and you need to diversify from that risk. I suppose this shrinking universe of stocks brings us back to the whole need to have a change in the regulations because we're so limited. Well, if you look at the statements made by Peter, like Peter Armitage, uh, even Neil Frunemann, when he was interviewed by Alec and, and, and companies like Peregrine, et cetera, et cetera, there's a number of reasons. One is over-regulation. Secondly, you've got the very restrictive BBE rules. Thirdly, you've got Forex is a, is a factor for many companies. It still hampers them. So you start ticking the boxes. The guy said, no need for me to be listed on the JSE. If I want a listing, I might go to Mauritius or in the case of Nasbash, they went to Amsterdam of all places because they needed access to capital at a, at a lower price. So there's a combination of factors and it's not only just one factor. Secondly, we've also had a disappearing gold mining industry from the JSE in 20 years. Gold mining houses have disappeared. There's no diamond, uh, a real diamond producer. So and, you know, significantly, Anglo Gold last week said goodbye to South Africa. There is no more Anglo Gold. So a lot of these things that we invested in very successfully in the 80s and the 90s uh, and, and the early 2000s are not there anymore. If you want to really invest in a diversified spread of gold mining uh, companies, you need to go to the U.S. or Canada or a combination of that. So things have changed and, and not not for the better for the JSE. Thank you. Well, there, here's a question from George who says, how do I move my living annuity, which does not have offshore exposure, to a Signia fund or Satrix that is correctly placed for the recently announced regulation? So, Magnus, can people change? It's very easy. Uh, you either do it yourself or you get an advisor to do it for you. And that's a really good question. A lot of the companies are very naughty. They're trying to restrict the offshore exposure in their living annuities for various reasons. 
and they tell their clients, oh, you can only do 30 or maybe 40. But you should not take that as an answer because a living annuity can be transferred across uh, to another platform. Uh, there are other I've got to give you 100% exposure. Momentum does the same, 91, Signia. And you can get 100% offshore exposure day one. And you should, it's your money. And don't do not believe the stories. Some of the big companies are, are a little bit economical with the truth as to why they don't want to give you 100% exposure. Which brings yeah, me to so, another. Jackie, sorry, very, sorry, just Gareth, very quickly. That, no, no, sorry. That just, yeah, it was a bit absurd. I mean, you don't have to move the living annuity elsewhere. So the fact that they're being told you can't be have a greater offshore exposure or be 100% is now. I mean, we've got clients living overseas that you want to remove exchange rate volatility. And as Magnus said, there are multiple platform providers that have the fund allocations that you can switch into. Uh, so the trick, you can do a Section 37 transfer, living annuities, you're not restricted to any single platform. And you can find a platform that allows you to switch into assets 100% offshore funds, certainly. And the yeah, individual has the, the right to do that. Thank you. So your question, this question from Selwyn ties in with what you were talking about a few seconds ago, Magnus. Selwyn says, how will the likes of the large insurance companies who do not include EDFs, ETFs in their investment selection deal with this? Because it allows the companies offering ETFs to switch. Uh, this allows a move from a Reg 28 compliant policy to a non-compliant policy. Magnus, what's your response well, to that? Well, I think that's that's that question touches on the on the on the bun fight in the behind the scenes. I think the big insurance companies woke up and said, "We're being dis disadvantaged. We're not we're not in that space." Although Satrix is owned by Sunlum, it's a very small part of their big operation, and Old Mutual and and, and and Alan Gray's, they don't have ETFs as an offering. So I'm quite sure, and I have no proof, but I, I it makes sense that they would have said, "Hang on a second. This is uh, not in our interest. We need to talk. And they do have clout, so they're obviously talking at a very high level, saying either it's done for all of us or done for nobody. But it would be a great pity if that comes through because there's a lot of politics in the investment world. And I'm quite sure the FSCA is being bombarded by appeals because it stands to reason that if let's say company abc i'm not going to name names i don't like hate mail over a weekend <laughs> but they've got no offshore exposure or they only have a limited offshore exposure they cannot offer that anymore and the public is awakened to this fact they will start moving billions of rands away from those companies to the companies that can offer it and you know that's a loss of business so they will probably step up to the plate to say no we need to talk we need to talk to the reserve bank Maybe you should include offshore um, asset swap collective investments as well, and then level playing field. But that opens up all kinds of foreign exchange issues in terms of how much will go out of the country, can it affect the rand, blah, blah, blah. So it's not, a, it's not that simple. There's a lot of complexity in this discussion, and, and there is no glib answer that I can give you. So do they have a vested interest then in exchange controls, your average asset manager in South Africa? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they are one of the primary beneficiaries of exchange controls because a lot of the money has to stay in South Africa and it has to be invested in South Africa. If you do compare it, if you look at the returns, and it's not only always returns, it's also the cost structures of the local fund managers versus the very, very aggressively priced offshore instruments that the Black Rocks and the um, vanguards of the world have brought to the market. 
it is a real threat to the big asset managers with very, very juicy margins. They, their, their competition is actually not themselves in South Africa. Their main threat over time uh, is, is Vanguard, is BlackRock, is, uh, are those very large producers of instruments and they can do them at 0.5%, 0.1%, which is minuscule. South African asset managers cannot compete on those, on those levels. Do you have anything to add to that, Gareth? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, the the solutions we've put together for clients include index funds to some extent because of the cost saving uh, that you can have. There's a big discussion about should you own only the index and and how does that potentially skew you? Uh, you know, in terms of if you owned only, let's say, uh, the top 40, you could have quite a, a significant skewing to the JSE, certain industries, certain companies. Um, yeah, you you can't argue with the lower ETF fees overseas. Uh, I don't think local fund managers would, uh, you know, they do have uh, local funds, asset swap funds, so they wouldn't necessarily lose funds under management. You may find individuals switching from their local balanced fund to an offshore balanced fund or an asset swap fund. So you may not necessarily see a significant outflow from the platform or the fund manager, but certainly the, the asset location. I mean, I personally would increase my offshore exposure in my RA. Absolutely. I think it's the prudent thing to do. Yeah, you know, just uh, just as a comment to that, uh, uh, Gareth, we, in our experience, we um, we find the minute someone takes out their RA money, let's assume they got three million rand in an RA, that one million that they can take out, whether it's tax free or partially taxed, they do take out. So it's a loss of asset to the company concerned. That money goes offshore. We, we it's standard practice, or you pay your debt, and the two thirds then goes to a cheaper. Uh, platform away from the larger asset managers. So I think there is a shift away in our experiences. The minute you can lay your hands on that cash, it either goes into your bank account here or it goes offshore into, into an offshore fund. Interesting. Yeah, no, certainly if you can get direct offshore, that's first prize, physical dollars outside the country. Yeah. 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 So this ties in with Ruan's question. He says he's 56 years old. He has a couple of rands in a Sunlum retirement annuity with minimal growth since 2008. Considering going offshore, best way options of doing so, perhaps in broad brushstrokes, how, how do you start going offshore, Magnus? Well, I'm not going to comment on Sunlum in particular, but at 55, 56, you, you can now do things, as I said earlier. Let's assume George has got 3 million rand. He, he can theoretically take one million out, five hundred thousand tax free. The second that uh, I think eighteen percent or whatever, and and that can be paid to his bank account. So that's a withdrawal of capital of one third. The two thirds he can then decide. I want it on a platform that offers me hundred percent offshore. If I choose to do so, that's the the, the the important. You don't have to take it. A lot of people are not qualified. But there are investors, and I include myself, my own living in EOT is in an ETF. I did 42% last year, whereas the JSE did minus five or something. I mean, it's just mind-blowing the difference. And, and um, that's what people should consider, and they need to sit with their advisor. And this is where the value of a good advisor comes in. We can explain all the pros and cons and saying, this is what's going to happen. And invariably, the question is, uh, what happens to my... Can I still put more money into RAs going forward? Depends on your income situation. But what we tend to do is, and I might be giving away a little secret, we say, fine, make your contribution end of February. Let's say you, you, you 
you've got a large income still, and you can include the income from your living annuity, do a single premium RA into a product provider, get your tax benefit, and then a month later you take it out and add it to your living annuity. So in effect, you can from 55 onwards get your tax relief on your contributions and with this one two step i call it you can end up with all your assets offshore which is not a bad place to be and a lot of people have been doing that successfully from for many years in our practice very interesting gareth do you do the one two step or how what do you do in this situation uh, i was gonna say it's not too much of a secret don't worry magnus uh yeah no sure so if you're taking a living new to draw you're going to add your taxable income assuming you haven't uh, maxed out the 350,000 per annum and you still get a tax deduction, it's either a monthly or an annual contribution to, to try and reduce your taxable income from that forced annuity draw of 2.5%. And then if it's under 247,500, you haven't necessarily used your 500,000 tax free, you can actually cash the full amount out. And if it's over that, you pop it back into the living annuity and you, your asset allocation remains offshore. The, the just the thoughts talking about Sunland, I'm talking about all the old what we call policy RAs. Just be sure that you haven't signed up for a maturity date at age 60 or 65. There can be penalties for early termination. I would just look into that as well. Uh, and then also depending on the value, if it's under 247,500, you potentially can withdraw all of it. So that's another consideration. Then you don't even have to go to the living annuity vehicle. Moving on from Sunlum to 91. Uh, Sebastian says he has around 100,000 Rand in a retirement annuity of 91 and it has not been performing for years, he says. With the recent change to the Reserve Bank regulations, can he move that amount into an S&P 500 index if he wants to move all of that offshore? What are my options to move these savings, he says. Gareth, would you like to take that one first? Um, with pleasure. If you've been with 91 and Magnus will know the returns, uh, you, you've probably <clears> been in, in better of the few positions you could have been in depending on which funds you've used and the performance over the last few years. As we've said earlier, it's it's a little contentious at the moment in terms of what uh, the Reserve Bank, the FPCA and the CISA, and we're waiting for further feedback on the assumption that Regulation 28 falls away, certainly. Uh, I would look at it again, broad brush strokes, I wouldn't necessarily move it 100% offshore. However, if regulations remain and you're under the age of 55, and then you're going to find yourself having to stick to a Regulation 28 fund and from our side, we always just recommend diversification. So we wouldn't have just a single manager. No one can predict the future, uh, not even ourselves. And so we would diversify across three or four quality managers. Thank you. Magnus, um, would you, do you have any further comments to add to that answer? No, 100%. Answer? Uh, I would agree with Gareth. It's, um, we don't know at this point in time. And, and uh, depending on what the rules allow you to do, you know, again, come back to your risk tolerance or your capacity to take risk. And, and in some cases, people just don't, uh, they cannot live with the ups and downs of, of offshore investing. I mean, we, I take this year as an example. We advise some people to take money offshore on the rent, strengthened by, what, almost 20%. So they're down like 5 6%. They say, geez, what a dreadful investment. You know, people think markets only go up. And it, they don't. They can go down very sharply at times. You can't predict things like the COVID virus or Joe uh, or, or Donald Trump losing the American election. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, Careful, we'll get lots of comments. Yeah, I think we only have an hour, Magnus. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, 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 so I agree. I don't know if, uh, it depends also in which fund he was. Maybe with the advisor, they can be a little bit more uh, structure the current RA a little bit smarter by uh, taking maximum equity offshore and 30% and, and balance and cash and bonds, avoiding the drawdown of the, S the, the JSE. That's been quite a nice strategy by avoiding the JSE. You've actually done okay if you put your money in the bonds and enhanced income funds, giving you eight percent, and your thirty percent aggressive equity that's giving you twenty. Your net return was about twelve percent, and that's very, very acceptable. Thank you. Carl sent this question through via email. He says that um, he thinks that you know the, the whole issue of uh, encouraging investors to put a certain amount of money into an RA every year and get some sort of tax benefit from it is a ploy by the government to entice us to invest in an RA so that they can get more access to our money. What are the pros and cons of an RA versus tax-free investment? So should we should we bother about the tax incentives? Gareth, how do you take this question? <laughs> We're going to debate prescribed assets. Um, no, it, it's a very valid question and it comes down to your marginal tax rate essentially. You know, you're, as things stand, you're limiting yourself in terms of investment selection if you go the retirement fund route. Uh, you've got Regulation 28, you've got accessibility issues before the age of 55. However, if you're at a 45 or 41% marginal tax rate, you know, you put in 100 rand and it only costs you 55 rand. So you're getting a return, a significant return on day one. Yes, you defer your tax obligation to later in life. However, theoretically, you're drawing less income in retirement because your bond's paid, the kids are educated, and so actually you're, there's a net marginal tax rate saving. The, the alternative is to, to forego the tax deduction, move into a vehicle that isn't as restrictive uh, from an investment perspective and access. And, and that's the debate we're having at the moment. You know, with our clients that are not necessarily sitting at the, the top marginal tax rate, we're having the discussion of saying, should we forego some of the, the tax saving and actually have a greater offshore or flexible investment allocation? Some people do need their hands tied, though, so you don't want them to have access to the money. But that's a <laughs> that's another debate. So when you look at South Africans moving offshore, working outside South Africa because they can't get jobs in South Africa, not necessarily wanting to immigrate, but ending up immigrating because they have a new life somewhere, and you know these investment time horizons in RAs are quite long. Magnus, do you think we should bother at all with them? You know that is a very complicated uh, debate, and you've got pros and cons, and you've got no, no, no choice is perfect. What I like about RAs is the fact that uh, it's, it's disciplined, protected against creditors, and it does force you to leave some money at the age of 55. You don't know what life is going to happen in the meantime. And for exactly the same reason, it can also work against you. You might, we've seen it now in the COVID downturn, you've got businesses that went under, and people, their only asset was a million or three in an RA or a pension fund, but they couldn't touch it before the age of 55. And the, fortunately, Treasury listened, and you could make uh, you can make loans or withdrawals now, to to a certain extent. But it's 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 a good product in my view if they can increase the offshore allowance, uh, which I think they will eventually do. Because um, and for a lot of people, they cannot be trusted with their own money. It's it's, it's a dreadful thing to say, but you, you people. They cannot live in the same room with their money. They spend it. They gamble it away. They go into funny stuff that they call Bitcoin, or they do <laughs> property syndications. They do funny stuff with money. And and it's sad to say, but 
And that's where, again, a good advisor can immediately sense this person needs a little bit of protection. It sounds terrible, uh, and I'm surprised I'm saying it, but some people need protection. They cannot handle money. They will blow the money. They will listen to advice at the pub or the nail parlor, and the next minute, money's gone. And I've seen so many horror stories of people just losing all their money. Scary. And then you've also got the issue of people being having different views in one couple, for example, haven't you? Somebody who's... Uh, saves well and the other one is a big spender. Do you see that as well? Sorry, Gareth, you, you wanted to pick up on that answer. Uh, well, I just wanted to say, you know, if you're working abroad and you meet uh, Section 1010 exemptions and you're possibly under the, the 1.25 million, you're not paying income tax, in which case contributing to an RA wouldn't save you. You wouldn't save any tax. And if you're earning abroad and can keep the funds abroad, uh, our first prize, again, as I said, would be to invest foreign currency uh, in, an, in an offshore platform. So, no, I wouldn't use an RA if you're working abroad and earning abroad. Thank you. Jackie, just to give you an example, you know, on the, on the sort of WhatsApp group of the area where I live, someone just posted a question saying, you know, I've got 100,000 rand, what must I do with it? And it was quite amazing, a study in the reaction, there were like 100 responses from normal people responding to this question. The first app was someone who said, I can give you prime plus 10%, speak to me. The next guy says, put it under your bed. The third guy said, Bitcoin. Fourth guy said, gold. The next guy said, fixed deposits. And I read through this and I was just flabbergasted how everybody has a view on an investment. And it is quite scary what I read, um, you know, on this WhatsApp chat group after such an innocuous question. And it was, it was scary that they, already people were saying, talk to me, I can give you prime plus 10, you know, and, and people would, would consider this. And we know it ends in tears, those kind of schemes. Hmm. Well, like the crowd one scheme that is still doing the rounds, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure if they're still around, but uh, there's another, I mean, the BBC did a very in-depth uh, in thing and they're saying it's, it's closing down all around the world with a billion euros missing. So, not surprised once again. It was again mass hysteria, big showcases and 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 and, and deep rooted psychological tricks to get people involved. And you kind of just sit and wait, get a lot of popcorn, and wait for the for the show to pop. Hmm. So, if it sounds, yeah, is, if it sounds, sorry, Gareth, please please if continue. If it sounds too good to be true, you're either taking on a lot more risk than you're aware of. Or there's something funny happening and it's possibly a scam or fraud. Well, that's that's the we had it with exponents. I mean, uh, for for years I said people were saying, "Oh, I'm getting 14% with exponent," and 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 I actually used the words Gareth just used. And I said, "You are taking risks on board that you are not aware of. They are not giving you the risks. You think it's a fixed investment mm -hmm. like a bank." They are tricking you, and it happens very quickly. They always say, oh, but I've been getting my monthly income, so everything is fine. It was fine until it stopped. And then they, then they opened that, that, that uh, Pandora's box, and it was a mess of, of and there's two, three hundred million gone, and that, uh, now I'm talking rubbish, two billion missing. So those high interest rates come with a price. Well, Akbar says he's been following Magnus's advice in terms of going offshore and has no regrets. He says, the question I have is that I'm a bit nervous of the global funds, given the second and third COVID-19 waves. What would Magnus suggest to minimize risk? Tough well, question, I wouldn't Magnus. Know. I've, got no, I've got no money offshore. All my money's in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know what? I always tell people that they miss the point. Markets are volatile, but you are giving your money to if it's if it's uh, uh, in many cases to a fund manager. They can do some things. You can move your money to and and and, and volatility is part of the part of the cycle. And if you think that you in, in the southern end of South Africa can correctly predict, and Gareth made the point earlier, we're not in the game for predicting. If you can predict and time markets and asset classes and get in and out. Go and work in, in New York, you make a, you make gazillions of dollars. It's not possible. Down. Forget about it. Look at your investment once a year if it's a long-term investment. Don't stress. Don't look at the market. You go crazy. Thank you. Uh, Gareth, sorry, did you want to add something there? No, I was just going to talk to to COVID and second wave in the northern hemisphere. You yes. know, what, what we're seeing is, is continued uncertainty but possibly with light at the end of the tunnel. And that's that's what we believe the markets are pricing in. And, and yes, markets are still under pressure and there's significant volatility on a daily basis, as Magnus has said, compared to what there was a year ago. Uh, we're waiting on the US elections. Uh, you know, we're waiting on Pfizer and their vaccine or a vaccine, which is still gonna take a good 12, 24, 36 months, uh, hopefully. But the thing is, what is your alternative? And then is that appropriate to you? So if you've got enough money to leave it under the mattress, that is an option for you. You don't have to invest in stocks. Now, not all of us, none of us have that option. You're taking on exposure to companies to achieve a real return, so a return above inflation, based on the retirement you want to have. And those are the parameters you need to speak to your advisor about. You need to be aware of what you need to invest in to achieve your goals. I must also just comment, Jackie, we get a lot of emails from clients or people from the public saying, oh, I read this article on on the website or I read this, I listened to this uh, podcast on YouTube and that person is predicting the end of the world, dollar crashing, uh, um, whatever. I mean, there's an industry out there and I've experienced this over many, many decades. There's an industry out there that produces these reports to scare people because they're selling an alternative whether it's gold or crypto or some scheme, and be very aware of falling for this fake news in the financial world. They, they, there's, there's people who try and scare you all day long so that you do something stupid with your money and possibly give them a, a part of your money to, to, to manage. And that, that is something that one needs to be aware of. Thank you. Uh, Jan says uh, he's 58, he's got three RAs and they're earning miserable sums. I think, uh, Jan, you'll have, probably have to go to a financial advisor with your specifics. But in broad brushstrokes, Gareth, if you're really disappointed with your performance of your various investments, how easy is it to swap or cash out? Well, at the age of 55, uh, 58, Jan, as we said, you're over 55. So assuming, yeah, correct, you, assuming you have access to them without penalties, you can take up to a third. As we know, the first 500,000 in your lifetime is tax-free, and you start paying your, your tiered retirement lump sum table. The balance goes into a living annuity. So it is it is easy to do. It's a lot of paperwork. My admin team will kill me for saying it's easy. Uh, but you can change your investment allocation. They will. And uh, you can change your asset class exposure as well as your geographical exposure. The trick is to understand what you're going to be investing in and how you expect it to behave. That's the big thing that we do at Netto. We don't want anyone to have any surprises. It's quite important for us to to detail and go through what to expect, how we expect the investment to behave, 
and we have a, a relative gauge you know depending on how much you have in cash in the bank or how much you have in shares on the stock market you can gauge how it's going to behave in the short and long term as well as as magnus said you know if you're offshore it's far more volatile than if you're local because at the same time as having the market move you've got the exchange rate moving and that can be a double-edged sword um but no at the age of 55 you should have options of 58 sorry you should have options available to you yeah thank you so Ashwan says, Dear Magnus, my son has saved 30,000 Rand. Please advise where this money could be invested, preferably offshore. So perhaps for the first time investor who wants to go offshore and start uh, moving and diversifying, what would you suggest as a, as a starting point for that kind well, of money? Well, that's not enough money to take it physically offshore. The offshore platforms normally have minimum balances of 15 to maybe $20,000. But he can invest in a very good Rand asset swap fund and 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 some of them like the my plan and 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 um some of the signia funds the, the s p 500 fourth industrial revolution uh, there's some nice tech funds that's what i would recommend for a, for a youngster like that i've done it with my children i've taken their money offshore and it's also an educational tool because i call my daughters together and i say listen let me show you where your money is invested and the first question i said what I've, what cell phone have you got? And of course, it's invariably an Apple or a Samsung. And I say, by the way, you know I've invested some of your money in that company. And they then I explain to them how it works, and they say, cool, that's interesting. So it's an educational tool. But so to to to, to, to end my rambling, there's one there are a couple of local asset swap funds that have been growing at 15% per annum, great returns. I would put the money into one of them, or if, if you want a bit more fun and games. You go for the high-tech stuff, the technology funds, the fourth industrial revolution funds. Thank you. And then Martinez has a similar question, Gareth. Perhaps you'd like to take this one. What offshore platform can I use to run a debit order of about 10,000 Rand a month? Is that enough for a debit order? And is it easy to get an offshore debit order? No, they're, they're practical issues with having you, – you can't have your offshore debit order. You're going to have to use asset swaps, asset swap funds here locally. So you run a local administration a debit order. The difficulty is when you finally decide to say, I now want to send that lump sum offshore, assuming you've had growth, you've got capital gains tax issues because an asset swap is going to roll up the exchange rate movement. And again, if we assume the RAND's weakening, that'll result in CDT for you there. You practically where clients want to make an allocation directly offshore, we do it on a three or six monthly basis. So we say, right, accumulate your funds, let's chat every three months, and then we'll we'll send it offshore. And you can do that you can do it through your bank. They're independent forex providers that can send it offshore, and there there are multiple platforms overseas uh, with varying products. You know, unit trusts, uh, wraps, endowments, the whole lot uh, from local administration companies or South South African companies, as well as what we would term offshore offshore. Uh, but the debit order is going to be you can't do that. No, sorry. Thank you, James. Has a follow up question from your point, Magnus, that people are wanting to invest in Bitcoin and all sorts of mad areas he says what do the team think of the online brokers in the usa interactive brokers or robin hood etc so where do we draw the line between sort of uh, platforms that might give you the opportunity to invest and scams well there are lots of local platforms that gives you access to offshore funds you can open an account with uh, easy equities or standard bank web traders uh, shareness got a platform i mean most of the companies now offer you that that you can buy shares locally. I see even FNB have started that. So everybody has come to the party. All the big institutions now offer that. 
So you don't have to take your money offshore to do that. Uh, so if, and, and if you do want to move your money offshore, it's not so smart to move it to the States because eventually their income tax laws will catch up to you. So be careful of the United States. You would rather take it to a platform like Momentum in, in Isle of Man, Guernsey, and you can work through their stockbroker, which is Credo. So there are many options. You must just ask around. For smaller amounts, I would say stick in South Africa, as Gareth said. And then when you have a uh, 200 or 300,000, you can take it out in one shot and get it offshore and into funds that we don't have in South Africa. Gareth, this whole issue of tax comes up a lot. So if you want to invest in shares uh, in the US, do you have to pay tax? How do you advise, uh, and, and just picking up from what Magnus said there, but be careful there's some sort of tax pitfalls yeah. when you go offshore. Yeah, there's, there's, there's probate and situs issues if you're gonna have direct holdings in the US and the UK. So you're gonna, pay your 40% tax uh, in the UK over, and I don't have the number in front of me, X amount of pounds uh, if you're holding direct shares that are listed there. So as Magnus rightly said, uh, you may want to consider the state tax impact uh, depending on where you're holding. Thank you. We've got a lot of questions that we are not going to get through today, but hopefully we can have both of you back at some stage soon. Harold has a question uh, for both of you, uh, and it's about the macroeconomic picture. And picking up on your point, Magnus, that the U.S., uh, there's tax issues there, but there's also the profitability issue, and of course there's the change with Donald Trump. So he wants to know, is will the U.S. be as profitable as before? There's uncertainty around China. U.K. and Europe equities are cheap, but lots of uncertainty there. So in a nutshell, he's trying to ask you, where's the best place to invest now? Magnus. Well, um, you know, the U.S. has been, the last 10 years, a fantastic place to You've made enormous amounts of money. Um, if you look at some of our clients who took money out early, one or two funds have given you a 1,000% over 10 years. I mean, that was just a luck shot. It's not going to happen again. You cannot, cannot ignore what is happening in the United States in terms of their enormous innovation in many fields, technology, biotechnology, healthcare, artificial intelligence, self-driving cars. You know, you've got to have money invested in those sectors, irrespective of whether you expect a downturn or, a, or an upturn. So I still believe that 70% of your global money must be in the US because it, it just has been proven right place to be. As Warren Buffett says, don't bet against America. But for diversification, Japan's been okay. China is starting to do very well. Uh, there might be some opportunities in, in Europe where the valuations are much lower, maybe bombed out property values, but uh, you gotta, you cannot ignore the United States irrespective of the politics and, and the Bidens and the Trumps. They are just role players. You've got to look at what's happening. If you look at what... Um, Elon Musk has done with Tesla. He's now the third richest man in the world. And a little boy who comes from around the corner where I grew up four ways. I mean, he stomping ground was the four ways more. And here he is the third richest man, possibly overtaking Gates. We don't actually realize in South Africa what Musk is busy doing. We Our, our media just focuses on local entrepreneurs. So you've got to, I mean, Musk and, 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 and the Gates and the Facebooks, you've got to be in those companies because they are changing the world. So you think it's still worth staying in them now? There's still a long way to go with those shares. You know, I just don't see, you know, if it gets cheaper, I'll buy more of it. There's no reason to get out. What is the alternative? I mean, unless there's regulatory intervention 
in the in the tech companies and they need to want to be broken up and stuff like that. But really, these these tech companies are making so much money. They are they are now considered to be value stocks and that <laughs> comes with uh, yes, there we go. But they are they are now the value stocks um, because they're making so much money. So uh, I would not. I my my money, my clients' money is seventy percent in the U.S. And trust me, they have done extremely well. Thank you, Gareth. What's your view on the macroeconomic picture? Uh, agree that just coming back to the regulatory issues, that could be an issue with with tech stocks. But it's also important to have a look through and understand that while you may be investing in the U.S., it's actually a global company. You know, you have to look yeah, at that's the, right, that's the footprint so true. of the that's company. That's so true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you may think I've got everything on the Dow, on the NASDAQ, but actually the guys are selling baby milk in India. So you need to know what's happening. Uh, macro, personally, I said to the guys here, I cannot do another four years of Trump. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I only have 100 followers on Twitter. I think Magnus has over 30,000. But the goalposts were moving every week because we got a tweet on a Sunday. And I, I just, yeah, I don't have the energy for that. Could also be that I have two, two young children. Uh, so macro, I'm, I'm hoping for a bit more stability coming out of the U.S. Uh, that just means that we'll know the framework for the globe to carry on and we can work with that. Macro, um, if we bring it down to South Africa, as I mentioned it earlier, just significant headwinds, which I hope we're all wrong and that we can make the necessary changes and austerity that needs to be done, uh, but that remains to be seen. I think Gareth is, so, is, is spot on with you're not investing in American companies. These are global companies. These are mega trend companies. And if the dollar weekends, which a lot of people are experiencing, it's actually very good for those companies because they're going to sell more uh, Apple computers uh, elsewhere in the world. So it is enormously positive for American companies to have a weak dollar and you just buy more. Uh, and that is counterintuitive. To what most people think over oh, a weak dollar i must get out of it no you buy more and how do you, you you do you buy the shares in the us or do you buy in another stock market or through a fund what's your what's your preferred route we we we've been using funds for a long time in the last three to four years we've been using exchange traded funds uh but not in the states you buy through the um tax havens in guernsey or isle of man where there are significant tax advantages and you buy the stocks via those collective investment schemes uh, in Guernsey or Isle of Man. Okay. Yeah. And then David has one last. Sorry. Don't worry, Jackie. Carry on. No, no, carry on. No, no. Combination of funds and stocks. I was going to say, well, combination of of fund managers, as I said, with some some ETF for the low cost. But then we also have on the private client side, if they want a direct offshore portfolio or have, then obviously that's a you want to get a decent uh, manager in there as well. So we do that. Yeah, too. that's, that's quite on. true. A lot of clients want to, I net with clients do like buying one or two individual shares like like Tesla. Sure. Beginning of the year, you, you you could buy Tesla for $140. It's now $500. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So yes, you'll find it in the various funds, but for the more gambling type of investors, they like buying these things and holding them on an individual basis. We, we use bespoke gambling, but carry on, yeah. <laughs> so our, our final question then for today, and this ties into what you've just been talking about, David is speaking about what, about what about investing in China? There's a lot of talk about Chinese growth, and we see that the Chinese economy is projected to overtake the US. 
how do you get exposure to China? How do you get exposure to the the ant IPO if it ever comes off properly? You know, how, what's the route to to that kind of um, growth? Magnus, what do you suggest for David? Well, there are some there are some local uh, funds that give you exposure to to fund. Uh, Precient has got a very good uh, China balance fund, and it's been doing very very well. So you can put rands in there and get exposure to China. If you want more aggressive exposure to China, you have to take it abroad, go to the platforms. There's a very good fund called the Cedarburg China Fund, run by a South African in London, enormously successful, uh, who's been specializing, I think his name is David Kricher, been specializing in China for many, many years. And you can buy that specific fund, or you can buy the ETFs, or you can buy anything. But you can buy it in South Africa. It's, 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 our media just never talks about China. Uh, and, and which is a pity. And they also don't talk about India and they don't talk about Japan. But these have been fantastic places to be with your money. This year, the China has done the best of all emerging markets. It's up about 30% uh, in dollar terms. So, yeah, you need to have China in your portfolio, if, if not in your takeaway bag. Thank you. Gareth, what, what do you do about China exposure? Correct. We're allowing some of the fund managers to give us exposure through there. There hasn't been a, a direct override. You know, we're not making a call and saying China's the future. Let's, you know, from an advice perspective, we're not in the detail of buying and selling stocks and looking at should we have a specific geographical region only. Uh, that we leave to the experts. Certainly has to form part of a portfolio. You can't ignore it. I remember chatting to you, Magnus, at least 15 years ago, and you were quite an expert on China already. I think you might even have had a, a, a child living there or investing in property there. My, my son grew up in China. It's a long story, but he uh, went to university in Shanghai and speaks fluent, fluent Chinese. So that kind of piqued my interest, and I went there a couple of times to visit him. He's back in South Africa, by the way. He's a financial advisor, and he's, but he speaks fluent Mandarin. So I kind of looked at China differently because I've been there a number of times and I had someone on the ground who could point me in the right direction. And uh, that's been quite an, an eye-opener. We, we kind of don't realize what goes on in China, really. It is just so massive and so big. Well, great. Well, thank you to both of you for joining us today. So um, just to recap, if you have any questions, do feel free to send them through to us. And um, I see a lot of you would like to get in touch with uh, Magnus and Gareth and their contact details are very easy to find. But if you want to get in touch with them, you can also contact me and I'll forward your details. So thank you very much, Magnus, for joining us today and also to Gareth. Thank you, Jackie. Good luck. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank Have you. a good weekend, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah bye -bye. you too. And thank you to everybody for joining us. Thank <laughs> you.